Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, as we continue our study of Genesis and the life of Jacob, we look at possible responses to the wounds that we receive. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 27. And if at some point in our service you need more coffee or you need to use the restroom, we got a whole baby party happening in the back over there. So you got to say hi to the baby party. There, it's a bunch of bunch of babies back there. So uh, say hi to the new parents. Um, but we're going to be in Genesis 27. Uh, Last week, we uh, began looking at a new character in our now six-month series through the book of Genesis, a guy by the name of Jacob. Uh, If you're visiting with us, your first time here, um, we have been working through the kind of line-by-line, chapter-by-chapter, story-by-story through the book of Genesis. Now we're in uh, a section about this guy, Jacob. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Jacob and Esau. Um, Same guy, the guy who wrestles with with God by a river, same Jacob. Um, last week, we, uh, we began this uh, series by talking about how pain and how um, uh, we use a phrase like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And last week, we talked about how uh, that's just not at all true, and we've experienced that to not be true. Uh, sticks and stones may break bones, but um, our words, the words we exchange, whether intentionally or carelessly, Uh, those words can wound us very deeply. Uh, Words have the ability to shatter us. Words have the ability to imprint on us. Words have the ability to break hearts and crush dreams. And uh, and so last week, we talked about the wound and uh, and that that moment that many of us have, um, or that series of moments. Um, All of us have been wounded. Not all of us have been uh, wounded at the same depth. But all of us carry scars with us, all of us. Uh, to be human is to, to experience some sort of wound. Um, many of us, we have been wounded by others, and uh, many of us, uh, we have wounded others back. Uh, sometimes uh, unintentionally, we're, like we're not intending to hurt somebody. It's a misplaced joke that we thought was funny, but now we realize that was maybe mean, or it's a cynical comment, um, or it's um, we accidentally shot a text message and didn't realize that they were in that thread. Some of you have been there. Um, but they got it, and we realized, oh, no, like that, there's damage done there, and we hurt somebody, and um, it was unintentional. Other times, we, we hurt people, if we're honest, we hurt people intentionally. Like, we actually set out to, like, show them something, to prove something. Uh, we have had wounds inflicted on us, and we have inflicted wounds on others. And last week, we began our series by asking a series of questions. Uh, for instance, can we find God in the midst of that heartbreak? Where is God in the midst of that? Uh, can we find peace in the middle of our storms, whatever those storms are? Um, because if we're ever going to move past the pain, if we're ever going to deal with it, if we're ever going to find some kind of peace in the midst of it, we first have to confront it. We first have to confront it. Um, but this morning, so that's where we were last week. Uh, this morning, I want to I ask another set of questions, this time about forgiveness. 
How do we begin taking steps to actually heal? How do we begin taking steps to restore the relationship uh, that, has, that feels like it maybe it can never be restored? Is there anything we can do to begin taking steps? Um, even if you've gone weeks or months or even years without talking to them, are there steps we can begin to think about? Can, can God resurrect even a relationship that to us feels dead? Theologically, we're going to say, yes, absolutely. But do we actually believe that? Now, here's a, here's a request I'm going to give us on the front end. We're going to talk about pain. We're going to talk about forgiveness. Uh, it's, it's tough stuff. I, I acknowledge that on a Father's Day. It's heavy stuff. Um, but I'm going to ask that as we work through this, this particular message and as we work through the next several messages, it is really easy to hear all this in the abstract or in the theoretical. Like we're studying a history lesson or we're studying a biblical story and it's something that happened to them a long time ago. It's easy to hear a message like this and forget that um, like this, we can think this is just theory. This is just something that happened then and we never actually deal with the heartbreak, the, um, the thing or the person that wounded us. And so my request, if you're willing, is to fight that temptation fight that temptation. Uh, I do believe that our God wants to set us free and wants to set some relationships, wants to reconcile some relationships, but we have to be willing to confront that. And the easiest thing we can do is hide behind a biblical story or a Bible lesson and not actually allow God to deal with the thing that we're actually going through. Maybe the, the most helpful place we can get at the end of this is simply to have a person's name that we can write on a piece of paper and realize this is the person I have to, I have to begin asking God to help me restore this relationship. Um, because if, if we're going to talk about pain and we're going to talk about forgiveness, we have to be willing to not just let it sit in theory land. Um, what does this actually look like in flesh and blood with real people? Um, so last week we began a series on Jacob and his twin brother Esau and um, just to catch you up, we talked about how they're twins, and twins by nature should be built-in best friends. My wife's a twin. She refers to her twin sister as her, her built-in best friend. Um, but what we discover is that these twins are not built-in best friends. In fact, um, from the gates, they have it out for each other, and they're going to become bitter enemies. Excuse me. Um, and it all begins with a word. Uh, Jacob, as a child, is given a name. Uh, he is named Jacob, which or Yakub, Yakub, uh, which means heel grabber or deceiver. Um, he's given this name, and into the, in the Jewish world, your name was more than just how we identify you. It was your identity. They, the word name actually means uh, etching, or they thought of it as your legacy. This is a name that they believe they waited on God. They got the name after eight days, and we have parents who look down at their eight-day-old son and they say, you are a heel grabber. You are a deceiver. And what we discover is Jacob begins living into this legacy. Uh, from a young age, Jacob, uh, right around the age of 15, steals his brother's birthright. Birthright is inheritance, property, money, stuff. And then about 25 years later, uh, he steals his, so when they're about 40 years old, he steals his brother Esau's blessing. So first he steals his birthright, money, property, stuff. Then he steals the blessing. Now the blessing 
was not just about stuff. The blessing was about legacy. They believed that this blessing was the same blessing that God gave to Abraham. You're going to have land and children and influence, and I'll be with you. More than that, it'll be through one of your kids, a kid that they refer to as the Messiah. God said, it's going to be through one of your kids that we're going to fix this world. That's the blessing. And Jacob first steals the property. That's a big deal. Then he steals the blessing. And he manipulates the situation. He works with mom. He plots together. And he deceives his his dad, who's blinding, like he's, he's losing his vision, and he steals his brother's birthright and his blessing. And so last week, we left off at the moment in which uh, dad has been tricked. Dad realizes he's been tricked, and Esau realizes that the, his twin brother just stole everything from him. Let's pick up the story where we, let's leave a little bit of where we left off last week, and then we'll go from there. I must go back to the moment of the wound. Verse 32 of 27. His father Isaac asked Esau, who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. And now uh, we realize he's, he's been deceived by his other son, right? He just realizes and he says, and we read, Isaac trembled violently. Uh, those two words, trembled violently. I cannot think of a, a better pair of words to describe what it's like to have your heart broken. My son did this to me? Uh, Isaac uh, trembled violently. There's like this cocktail of emotion, uh, anger, and resentment, and pain, and heartbreak, all of it. Summarized in two words, Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed, because a man's word in a Jewish culture was everything to him. Uh, A man's word, you do not go back on your word, and he just gave that blessing to his son. He didn't know what was happening, but he gave his word. Uh, He believed that God himself was going to uphold that blessing. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry, It's like the floodgates are opened. And he said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob, deceiver, heel grabber? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Dad, is there anything left? Anything. Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives, his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. This is where we left off the story last week. There's desperation in Esau's uh, words He's weeping. We leave the story last week. We left the story with, there's the wound. It's been set. We have Esau who realizes everything's been stolen from him, and now he's just falling apart. Bless me too, my father. Is there anything left, dad? Uh, there, uh, and, and then dad says, um, he took your blessing. 
There's very few wounds that can, that can hurt a man. There's very few, few wounds that will take a man out of the game quicker than a son not receiving a blessing from their father. Very few wounds, if any, can take a son out of the game quicker than when a dad withholds a blessing from a son. Uh, the words, I'm, son, I'm proud of you. The words, uh, I, I love you. Here's words that are important that a dad says to his son. You are a good man and you are good at being a man. Uh, when a boy doesn't have those words, often what tends to happen, not always, if we don't resolve this, if we don't make peace with this, if we don't allow God to heal this, what can tend to happen is either that boy stays a boy and stays pretty fragile um, and becomes uh, pretty wounded, becomes pretty victimized, or they uh, put on this macho persona and uh, they try on all these different hats, trying to figure out like, am I a man? Am I actually a man? How will I know that I'm a man? Uh, there's very few wounds that hurt us more than a dad who doesn't say, uh, son, you're a man, and you're a good man, and you're good at being a man. Um, dads, this is our responsibility on a Father's Day. This is a big deal. Uh, our sons need to hear this from us, whether they're like my son, who's nine, um, or they are adults. Uh, us adults need to hear these words from our dads, too. If, you're, if you've got adult children, um, your children need to hear these words, too. Uh, we, we, we crave this. Uh, who am I in the world? Bless me too. But the story doesn't end here. Uh, let's, pick up, let's pick up where we left off last week. Verse 39. Verse 39. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. Stop there. That's a, that's a harsh statement. It's a power, it is a powerful statement though, isn't it? Your, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness. It kind of, that's exactly what it feels like to have a blessing stolen from you, to have a wound inflicted on you, right? Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness. There, you, ever, you ever have this spot where it's like, you, you realize I've been hurt, I look out and everybody else is having fun, but not me. Everybody else is celebrating life, enjoying life, but not me. Even when I get the same stuff that they have, I don't know why I can't enjoy that stuff. I, it's, it's, it's like you're away from that. You're, you're dwelling to be away from the, the goodness of the earth. You, just can't, you, you see no joy in it. It's like the colors are on mute, uh, the whole thing. Uh, and then uh, this line, your dwelling will also be, your, will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. Have you been there? It's like not only did their action hurt you, but their action did something far deeper than just hurting you. Their action actually robbed you of the uh, ability of something far deeper, this ability to connect with God, God himself. Uh, you can actually trace it back to a moment. Uh, there's a, a moment in your life where you realize, uh, ever since that moment, I now have all of these questions for God. Why would this happen? God, why would you do this? God, do you even care? God, are you even good? Somebody does something that hurts you, and now you find yourself not just wounded from the earth's richness, but, but you look at the gifts of heaven, and you say, this aren't even, I, I don't know if I can even trust you, God. If you, did, if you allowed this, why would I ever trust you with this? Uh, and 
Um, all of a sudden, because of something they did to you, now there's like a deep resentment beginning to stir inside of you towards God. So, so do you see how Isaac's words, um, they actually are pretty accurate. If you've been in this spot, actually, you've maybe found yourself asking these questions about God that you never asked before until this moment when somebody hurts you and you realize, oh, oh. And so Isaac kind of describes, and I think a really powerful way, this is what it's like. This is what it's like. But he doesn't end there. Verse 40, he says, you will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. You will serve. You ever uh, had a wound that you thought you had dealt with? You thought you moved past it and then you see them again. Uh, Maybe you're at the grocery store. Uh, and all of a sudden, there they are. Um, maybe you're over, you're shopping at the mall, or you're walking down the street, and all of a sudden, you see them again. And it's like all these old emotions begin to resurface. You thought you dealt with those things. You thought that was part of your past. You thought you moved on from that. But as soon as you see them, it's, it's like a flood just comes back. All of these experiences, all of these emotions, like the wound just gets ripped right back open and it's all still right there. And they, you, you kind of realize that they still own a part of this. You will serve your brother, uh, Isaac says. And we kind of become obsessed with them. Uh, we go to their Facebook page or their Instagram page and we are... Um, secretly hoping that uh, their life is falling apart, right? Like we're secretly hoping that when we go to their page, like it's not going well for them. That moment that, that hurt us so bad was not just a singular point in history. It has become a continuous point that has affected all of our stuff and it's poisoning everything. It's, it's robbing us of all of it. Uh, in the... Uh, In the moments after World War II, there was a committee assembled to interview the survivors of the Holocaust, uh, the survivors of the concentration camp. And the committee set out to record all of these stories. Some of you maybe saw some documentaries or you read some books on uh, some of the things that people shared. It's some of the most powerful stuff you'll read if you can get your hands on it. Um, uh, One of the particular uh, interviews they did was with a guy by the name of uh, Itzhak Zimmerman. He was a survivor from the Warsaw camp, one of the worst of the concentration camps. Uh, And Itzhak Zimmerman, in his interview, he said these words. He said, if you could lick my heart, it would poison you. If you could lick my heart, it would poison you. Zimmerman says, they stole my, di- my dignity. They stole my humanity. Uh, they treated me like an animal. And if you could lick my heart, it would poison you. My heart, because of something they did, has become toxic. Uh, and that's Esau, or Isaac's warning to his son Esau. Listen. If we're not careful here, Esau, you've been betrayed. You've been hurt. You have been robbed. But if we are not careful, you will find yourself serving your brother. Your heart will become poisoned. 
Um, but Isaac doesn't just tell Esau that he will serve Jacob. Notice, notice the words uh, right before this. He says that if he's not careful, he will find himself living by the sword, living by the sword. Um, his life will be consumed by one thing and one thing alone. And this is, a, this is a thing many of us have gotten very comfortable and we've experienced far too often. One thing and one thing alone, revenge, revenge. Um, why is it when we're wounded? You ever, you ever ask this question? Why is it when we're wounded that our hearts are so quick to jump to, I'll get them back? You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You hurt me, I'll show you. Or, or how about this phrase? I'll give them what they deserve. That's exactly the warning here. You're gonna find yourself living by the sword, bent on uh, bent on revenge. I uh, uh, recently was talking to this guy who was sharing with me that um, he was picked on in high school and he was telling me some stories about what happened to him in high school. And then he said, uh, so I was like, okay, so like, what's the plan? Do you still see people? And he says, well, I got a reunion coming up. And I, and I said, oh, really? Are you going to go to your reunion? And he says, I think so. I, and then he says, I want to go to the reunion just so I can show them that I'm now better than them. And then he said this. He says, I hope that when I go to the reunion, they're all bald and unemployed. <laughs> you want to laugh. I'm glad because I did too. I, I, like, I hope that they're bald and unemployed. What is that though? Like when you peel back the layers, it's a, it is a quiet form of Revenge. I was talking to um, a guy whose girlfriend cheated on him, and his response to me was, "I hope she gets ugly." I'm like, "What? Like, what is? This? It's just it's revenge. It's packaged as humor. It's but it's just revenge. We do this all the time. Think about how much emotional, creative energy we expend dreaming of ways we could pay them back." get them back, show them that, they, that we are better than them, make sure that they find no joy because they stole our joy. Esau's been wounded. That's a fact. Esau's been wounded. And Isaac, his dad, sees Esau. He sees his response. He sees the tears. He sees his son's response, and he's aware that if we aren't careful, son, you will find yourself serving your brother, he will rent space in your heart and you will find yourself living by the sword, bent on revenge. By the way, what happens if he does find his brother and he kills his brother, like he takes care of it? Will that actually fix it? Will it make the pain go away? You ever ask this question when we go through the revenge cycle? Um, if, if we actually got revenge, does it actually fix the pain? You go to the reunion and they're all bald and unemployed. Does that actually make your life better? You, you see them and they're, like, they're no longer attractive to you, whatever. Like, does it actually make your life better? If, if you were to get them back to get revenge, in this case, if, I, if Esau were to kill Jacob, do you think his poisoned heart actually gets any healing from that? Yeah, no. I love how one author, a guy named Lewis Smeads, he wrote a really good book on forgiveness called Forgive and Forget. Um, he says this, he says, our hate does not even have the decency to die when those we hate die, for it is a parasite sucking our blood. Let me read that again. 
He says, our hate does not even have the decency to die when those we hate die, for it is a parasite sucking our blood. Take a breath. (sighs) Heavy. There is a great line tucked in the middle of this speech from Isaac that I find to be tremendously helpful. It's so subtle that we can read right by it if we're not careful, but I find it to be tremendously helpful as we think about forgiveness, revenge, anger, betrayal, hurt, the wound. Notice what Isaac says next. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off from your neck. It's an interesting picture. We're not farmers, so we may miss it. Um, but, But Isaac describes this hatred, this bitterness, this grudge, this plot to revenge. He describes it as a yoke. What's a yoke? A uh, yoke's a farming tool. Um, it was essentially used to tie two cattle together. You place a yoke between two cattle. Uh, you can strap two cattle together, and together they pull a load, uh, typically a plow, and that's how you would plow a field. Uh, a yoke is a farming tool. Do you hear the warning here from Isaac? This is, how, this is how Isaac describes revenge. Tell me this is not a beautiful picture, an accurate picture of revenge. Revenge, he says, is like a yoke. They hurt you, that's like the pain you carry. But you thinking, okay, this is how I'm gonna deal with it, I'm gonna get revenge, is like taking them and strapping them to your neck and carrying that wound with you everywhere you go. Carrying that heavy load with you everywhere you go. And then he says, but when you grow restless, you'll throw his yoke off your neck. Um, you see, some pain is not our fault. It's not our fault. Uh, they chose to hurt us. It's not our fault. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. Sometimes our pain is like it's, we're somewhat in it, right? Like it takes two to tango, things like that. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not true, especially when wounds happen to little kids, right? Sometimes it's just not true. They, they hurt you. It wasn't your fault. But when we plot revenge, we are taking them and we are tying them to our neck, and we are carrying that pain, that wound, everywhere we go. And we do carry it everywhere we go. And it is exhausting. I love the language Isaac uses. He says, when you grow restless, restless, you find yourself getting tired, you find yourself losing sleep, You find yourself restless. We think once we get revenge, this is what what our brains will trick us into thinking. Once we get revenge, then I'll feel better. But what Isaac seems to suggest, and I think he's right, is that we get revenge, we think it's all about getting them back. It fixes it. It's all about getting them back. But what he says, or what he seems to suggest, is revenge isn't about getting them back Revenge, he says, is like taking their action, tying it to our neck, and carrying it with us everywhere we go, dragging that pain, dragging the wreckage of their decisions with us everywhere we go, running the tape loop through our head. And someday, he says, you're going to find yourself getting to a spot where you're tired of carrying it. You're restless of carrying it. Story's not done. Next words. uh, Isaac hasn't even finished his warning and notice what like, is interjected. Verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. 
he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. So when dad dies, then I will kill my brother Jacob. The author tells us that Esau held a grudge against Jacob. That's an interesting expression, isn't it? I've been reading this passage very slowly in preparation for this, and that phrase just stood out to me. Esau held a grudge. Uh, it's a phrase we use a lot, isn't it? It's, another, it's really just another way of saying, I am making the decision to keep the yoke on my neck. I'll hold a grudge. Hold a grudge. We use this expression all the time. So and so is holding a grudge. They're holding the grudge. Think about that term holding. It's an intentional choice. Right? We're, we're choosing. It's an active choice on Esau's part to hold on to what Jacob did to him. I will carry it. I'm choosing to hold on to it. To hold a grudge is to take that pain and instead of, God, I can't hold this any longer. It's the choice to say, I will strap that weight to my neck. Um, If you look up the word grudge in a dictionary, this is what you'll find. A grudge is a persistent feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from a past insult or injury. A grudge is taking that thing that happened and instead of letting it go, we cling to it tightly. Now I want to be careful here. Okay, those of you who have been hurt especially, I want to be careful here. Holding a grudge is very different than living with the consequences of a decision that they made. Okay, so these are two different things. The truth is, we may not all have the choice. We'll talk about the myth of forgive and forget and how like, that's not something. But we may not all have the choice uh, of to, what happened to us was not necessarily our choice. They hurt us. It wasn't our choice. There are some things we just have to hold. You were let go of a job because the company was struggling financially, and it wasn't your fault. In fact, they told you that as they let you go. That is a choice that the company made that you now have to hold. You have to deal with the ramifications, the consequences of that, of, of that decision on behalf of somebody else. You now have to live with it. That's different than holding a grudge. Uh, he left you, uh, found somebody else, left a trail of tears in, 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 the, on the, in the end. That new reality of being single, trying to figure out the dating world, that new reality is the consequence of what happened, and we have to hold that. We have to hold that. Um, it's different, though, than holding a grudge. Uh, Esau had his blessing and his birthright stolen from him. That's, that's going to come with a consequence. He's not going to get the property, the inheritance, the stuff, and he's not going to get the legacy. He's had that taken from him. He doesn't, it's the consequence he's got to hold. Some things we have to hold. But what Isaac seems to suggest What a dying dad seems to suggest to his son is that some things we have to hold, but a grudge is not one of those. It's not one of those. We choose to hold the grudge. Which brings us to forgiveness. Uh, If revenge is placing the yoke on our necks, if revenge is choosing to hold the grudge instead of letting it go, then forgiveness is the decision to take the yoke off. Forgiveness is uh, making the deliberate decision to take that grudge and to let it go. Now, forgiveness is not ignoring the pain. It's not giving them a hall pass that what they did is okay. It's not uh, ignoring justice. Forgiveness is the courageous decision to say, I will no longer carry that weight around everywhere I go. 
Um, we often think, we talked about this a little bit last week, that forgiveness is all about them, right? Like, I'm going to give them forgiveness. Do I forg- I'm going to set them free. I'm going to let them off the hook. But the way Isaac explains it is very different. Isaac seems to say that forgiveness isn't just about them. Forgiveness is about setting your heart free. It's your neck that has been strapped down. Their decision, it's you who's carrying it. In fact, a lot of times, they don't even remember it. And you're carrying it around. There's a saying in the recovery movement uh, that you probably have heard this. Revenge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Uh, Which brings us to the question of how do we do this? How? Um, I wish I could give you a five-step formula for how to do this. I I wish it was that simple. Unfortunately, I have yet to find a formula. There is no formula. What I can give you is an image that I find to be really powerful. Uh, The image actually comes from a guy by the name of Peter, one of Jesus' oldest disciple, one of his closest followers. Uh, He describes how he watched Jesus do it. And notice the language Peter gives us. Uh, this is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. According to Peter, what Jesus understood is that if revenge at its core is, uh, is holding the grudge, Ultimately, revenge is making the decision of whose seat are you sitting in? How does Jesus forgive? Jesus recognizes that there is a judge and our judge judges justly. There is a throne. There is someone who sees all, knows all, sees the heart, and he is capable of making judgment decisions. So the reason Jesus, when they're throwing words at him, insults at him, he, can re- he cannot retaliate is because Jesus is aware that We have a God who sits on the throne. He can be trusted. God, I don't like what they did. I don't think it's fair. I think somebody needs to pay. I'll trust that you'll take care of it. I trust you see it too. I trust you don't think it's right either. God, would you deal with it? How do we take the first step of forgiveness? According to Jesus, it seems to to come down to whose chair or whose seat are we choosing to sit in? When we take revenge, it's like we say to God, God, I don't think you're trustworthy. I don't think you're trustworthy. I think they're going to get away with it. And so I'm going to sit down in your seat and I'm going to make sure they they get what's coming to them because I don't think if I don't do that, I think they're going to get away with it. Jesus, when they hurled insults, when he suffered, he trusted the one who judges justly. Now, um, maybe you're thinking, yeah, but that's not easy. I 100% agree. Trust me, I know. If there's any issue in my life that I've had to work through more than this issue, I I wouldn't know what what it would be. Um, I'm still working through this particular issue. uh, So I know it's not easy. I feel that also. Um, In fact, there's a story that I came across a few years ago that reminds me of how hard this is. And... uh, Initially, I was going to tell the story, but I thought maybe I'll just read it because I, I love how this person tells it. Uh, the story is of another Holocaust survivor named Corey Tenboom. 
me set the story for you. Um, the story goes that Corrie Ten Boom, so she's, she survives the concentration camps, and she then, uh, she's a Christian, um, so she goes around after surviving speaking about forgiveness, and so she's giving what we'd call sermons, and she's giving a sermon about forgiveness, and um, as she's speaking on forgiveness, she looks out into the congregation, and she observes that sitting in the congregation is the guard of the concentration camp in which she was imprisoned. Worse than that, the guard, that, as she's talking about forgiveness, the guard, um, this particular guard stood behind the killing of her sister, Betsy. And she's talking about forgiveness. This is what she writes. I find this really powerful. I, it's a little bit long. I apologize, I'm reading, but I think her words are powerful. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and, cross, and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Froloin. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leathered crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Froiloin. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? I could not have been many seconds, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive give your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching at my heart. For, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out in front of me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. 
The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing me to tears. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And uh, so it begins with a choice. Will we choose to give God his seat back, trusting that he's a judge who judges justly? Will we choose to take the weight of their decision off of our necks, to not hold the grudge, but to let it go? Now, I know it leaves a lot of questions, um, like, uh, does this mean I got to ignore what happened? Um, does this mean I have to pretend as though nothing happened, as though it didn't hurt me? Does this mean that I have to call them up today and I've got to say, I forgive you when I don't want to do that? Um, when is them who should be asking for my forgiveness? Does this mean I have to forget it? Does this mean I have to enter back into a toxic relationship with them? Those are all great questions. We'll come back to those in the next couple of weeks. Um, but uh, this morning on this Father's Day, I just want to, I think to sit with making the choice to forgive is enough. If last week uh, we talked about how the choice to see that the pain is real, the wound is real, uh, this week on this Father's Day to simply acknowledge to letting it go is better. It's better. Forgiveness is hard. But I, I love how Corey Ten Boom says it. We'll end here. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, rescue us from thinking that this is just theoretical Lord, rescue us from thinking this is just a story that happened a long time ago and not something we deal with right here in this moment. Lord, rescue us from thinking that uh, this isn't about our hearts and our pain. Jesus, would you give us a glimpse of a better future? Lord, help us to see a better future than just the war path of revenge. Some of us in this room, Lord, we are exhausted from carrying around the weight. Um, Lord, would you help us to trust that you're a judge who sits on the throne, that you judge justly, and we can trust you with it. Um, Jesus, uh, we do love you, and we do pray this in your name. And everybody said. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 10 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.